Thank you, brother. Good morning, church. For those of you I haven't met and for others as well, I want to say to you, my name is Ralph Neal and I'm one of the members here at Antioch and I praise God for that too. Uh, my wife is Janet. She's on the center aisle back there. Raise your hand, Janet. She's going to kill me later for that, but uh, she doesn't like to be pointed out. But if you've gotten to know us, you definitely know she's my better half. So, But uh, that saying, um, just want to tell you a little bit about myself and my journey with the Lord. Um, I'll give you the condensed version so we can get on to the sermon here in just a minute, but I was saved at 10 years old, and when I went to college, I wandered away from the Lord. But praise God, he had patience with me. Praise God, he brought me back to him. And uh, in 1998, I left the business world on God's call to go into the ministry. And if I had known what he had called me to do, I, I promise you, I would have run. Because he's used me to turn around two churches that were suffering. And help them to become healthy. But that's very difficult at times for pastors and their families. Because we come under attack. And uh, people don't like change. And they do ugly things. And But thank God we survived it and came out of it stronger. So uh, that being said, I'm glad that God brought us back to Louisville at the end of 2020. I had to go into semi-retirement. I work now for Todd at LRBA as a revitalization strategist and um, I thank God for that as well I had medical conditions that had to bring us home so we were gone from Louisville for 30 years and it's good to be home it's good to be home and I hope in the saying all that that you find us unimpressive but authentic that's where we want to be I also want to mention our pastors this morning I thank God for them, for Brad, Aaron, Jason, Robbie, Mark, as well as he's joining with them. They all just went on a retreat for a few days to bond together, to seek the Lord, to seek how they could pray for one another and strengthen one another. And I'm so happy for our pastors. Church, I've traveled around and seen a lot of people, but we've got awesome pastors here. I want to praise God for them. You can do that too. <laughs> we don't do that often, and that's good, but we should at times, and I praise God for them. So let's get started. I want to take you back to two Sundays ago. And if you will recall, Brad preached on Luke 16, 14 through 18, which he titled, We've Landed on the Moon. I thought that was an interesting title, but he followed it up with an awesome sermon. So we pick up today following those verses contextually, and we'll get to them in just a minute. But I, I, I want to reference uh, something to Pastor Brad's monologue. I don't think it can go in unanswered. I mean, how do you follow Brad's reference to those two great theologians Dumb and dumber. <laughs> well, you know they're not theologians, but hey, you get the point. And I thought hard on what would be fitting. And then my mind went to another equally dumb character, 
Steve Martin in the movie The Jerk, which is, believe it or not, contextually accurate, okay, with the sermon today. Play the clip, guys. <laughs> Things are going to happen now, is what he said. And uh, just a, a short reference to those of you that have no idea what a phone book is. <laughs> Back before cell phones, if you wanted to talk to your friends, you had to knew the, know the address where they lived, you had to know their parents' name, and you had to dig through the phone book until you found that listing for your friend to call them on a dial-up phone. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm glad we don't do that anymore. So, but in, in the movie, uh, Steve Martin proved to be a jerk throughout the movie. And, um, but that one scene really captured the attitude of the Pharisees. First, in today's language, they proved themselves to be jerks. And then I, when I, I noticed something else in my last church before we came back home, I started about three years ago preaching through the book of Matthew, which they just now finished uh, a couple weeks ago. But I noticed something I hadn't noticed before when I was going through the Gospels. The Pharisees are always lurking in the background. They're always there trying to trip up Jesus. They don't want to lose control of what's going on and here is this man claiming to be Lord turning everything upside down and, and they it, they were just there so as we continue on preach for preach through Luke think, just notice how often you find the Pharisees in the background and, and then uh, my second thought as I was thinking about them is they thought they were somebody like Steve Martin did in fact, they thought themselves better than anyone else. They were arrogant in today's verses. We see Jesus continue to address their ridicule. And Jesus continue to expose their poor theology. Their poor attitudes and their lack of position in life. They thought they were somebody and they weren't. Have you ever known anybody like that? I have. And so following Brad's sermon, I've titled my sermon this week, From the Moon to the Depths of Hell. And that's exactly where it goes as Jesus continues to address the Pharisees. So as we turn our thoughts to the Word, let us prepare our hearts and our minds to receive it. That's important. We need to have an attitude in our hearts that we want the Word of God. To feed us. Amen. Matter of fact, we should come in here each Sunday morning. We should come in here with an anticipation of what God's going to show us through Scripture. Amen. So, since uh, today's passage is so long, instead of asking you to stand for the reading of it, we'll simply read it. But let us still posture our hearts in such a way that we can say, The Lord has spoken to us. And let's respond together. Thanks be to God. Look with me, if you will, Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, 
who feasted, feasted excuse me, sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desires to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, when the dogs came and licked his sores, the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Let's picture that a minute. The rich man in hell, able to see, but never able to cross back. Picking up in verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Praise be to God for the reading of his word. I think this passage is some of the most sobering ones in scripture. And as we go through them, we're going to see various things. But first, I want to spend some time dealing with the context of these passages. And then I want to share four truths that we can take away from from them. Now look back with me in Luke 16 to verses 14 and 15. Here we see the Pharisees verbally ridiculing our Lord and his response. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him and said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. And Pastor Brad mentioned the word abomination. It means the worst thing to the Lord, repulsive, an abomination. So, We see and we're reminded here of the Pharisees' arrogance and their life preferences. They were lovers of money. They thought they had all figured out. And they were right with God and thought they were right with God because they were blessed with wealth and status. And as we find Jesus responding to the Pharisees in today's verses, we see him contrasting two men, 
one wealthy and one a poor beggar. Now, young disciples and our international friends, that's the first blank on your outline. One wealthy and the other one is a poor beggar. So let's look at verses 19 and 21 through 21. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, even dogs came and licked his sores. If we were to look at that in today's context, think of a huge house with a gated property. And outside that house laid a poor beggar that every day he sat there and every day the occupants of that house went in and out, in and out and ignored him. And as we look at the passages, as we unfold them, I want to call your attention so that you can track with me throughout. There are two contrasts going on. There is both a spiritual context and contrast of of this message and, and a physical contrast or message that Jesus is giving us here. The rich man, some believe, represents the Pharisees who often adorn themselves in purple linen, wealthy and positioned well in the current culture. You know the type. You've seen these people. And Lazarus, on the other hand, represents the poor, and some believe he represents the Gentiles. So we not only have rich versus poor, we have uh, the Jews, God's chosen, the Pharisees, in contrast to the Gentiles. And so youth, young disciples and internationals, this is the answer to your next blank, what I just said. So if you can see Jesus contrasting the Pharisees as those who represent God's children who had been given everything good could offer and they had squandered it. When God chose them, he chose them so that the world, through them, that the world would be blessed. If you think about it, go back to, Abraham, uh, to Genesis 12, 1 through 4. God told Abraham that his descendants would be, through them, would be a blessing to the world. And of course, we know that ultimate blessing through Abraham was Jesus Christ. But the Jews never got it. They never shared with the rest of the world. They were inward focused. And, and so, as we look at that, and look at the Pharisees, they not only squandered what God had for them to do, even more they become religious hypocrites and bigots. But there is a deeper, more important contrast in the message going on here. If Jesus is comparing the Pharisees as Israel and Lazarus as the Gentile, we see a huge message that is important to us today as the church. Listen to this. Here's the message. Israel, God's children, had been given the relationship with God to be shared with the world 
and they kept it to themselves and they were inward as I've just said. Focused with no compassion or mercy for the rest of the world represented by Lazarus. This poor beggar that laid at the gate every day. He was poor physically and he was just hungry for just the crumbs of what was on the table of the rich man. But apparently he never received it. And suffering and without, he was desperately in need. And so we see those two contrasts working here. The rest of the world is suffering and in need for what Israel had to say. And, and, and so we, we think about that in our context today. The world is still suffering and needing, in need of Jesus Christ. You know, this, this man, this poor man, Lazarus, the only help he got, and it's kind of gross, is from the dogs coming and licking his oozing sores. Isn't that pitiful? And we see the poor all around us every day. We see the poor physically, just like this man. We see the poor spiritually. We don't have to look far. You know, as uh, for me, I drive by them every day. And I see them at the exit ramps and the street corners. And Honestly, I've got a confession for you. I've become jaded. And I need to change that. I've seen so many of it be bogus and corrupted. I've thrown it all out. But you know what we all have to do? What I have to do and what we all have to do is we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And we have to move when he guides us to move. And we have to trust God to take care of it, even if we have doubts. There are people that need the basics to live. And there are people that certainly need the gospel. And so there's a huge message for the church today. We've been given all by our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're to share that with the world. If you will, church, we are rich spiritually. We, we, and we cannot, we cannot, church, we cannot keep it to ourselves. I love how this church always emphasizes that we are sent. We are on the go all the time with Christ. And if you think about it, some of the last words that Jesus gave us was the Great Commission. To go forth and make disciples. That's what he told us as believers to do. And, and there is also a huge rhetorical question here for all of us, myself included. When was the last time you shared your faith? And you know, Jesus is addressing Israel here in particular the rich man. But if Jesus returned today, what would he have to say to the church? Not just us. That's the church with a capital C. The church of Jesus Christ. And more, what would he say to me? I don't know. 
First of all, it's been a little bit since I shared my faith. But I need to get busy. You know, I know Pastor Brad has said this, but when we work on the sermon and put our heart and soul into preparing it, guess what happens? It gets preached to us first. It gets preached to us before we bring it to you. So I say to you, the Lord has been working on me through this sermon as well. And as we continue with these verses, I believe there are four lessons or applications we can take from what Jesus said. And as we look at them, again, remember those contrasts that we just looked at. Keep those in mind. And the first lesson or application I have for us is wealth cannot save you. Young disciples and internationals, that's the first of your list of three. Look with me at, at Luke 16, 20 through, 22 through 23. The word of God says that the poor man died and was carried to the, uh, by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And so here is where I get my title from the moon to the depths of hell. He's there looking up in constant torment. So the, if you will, the, the Pharisees had everything. They had position and power. And they were not only powerful within Israel, but many, if not most, were very wealthy. And look what Jesus says about the rich man in these verses in 22 and 23. He is in Hades or hell being tormented. Not only that, he could look up and see Lazarus, the poor pitiful beggar by Abraham. The one that sat at his gate all the time sitting by Abraham. The one he had neglected all this time sitting by Abraham. And in this verse, notice something else. The rich man is never named, but Jesus named Lazarus. Of course, Jesus knew the rich man's name. But there's significance here. The rich man had no part in the kingdom. And Lazarus was a child of God. Also, listen to what Jesus says in verses 23, excuse me, 24 and 25. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you are in your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish let me tell you one thing from this first church there's a hell and it's real as a heaven is real and today there are people that claim to be Christians denying that there is a hell Jesus is talking about it right here my Lord is declaring that it's there right here we can't argue with that. And, and it's real that those who reject Christ seal their own fate 
during this lifetime. And if they do not repent and trust Jesus as their Savior, that's where they'll go. We have this lifetime to make that decision. And hell is something that you don't want to wish on your worst enemy. You don't want to wish the torment there. Can you imagine being in such a place without being able to get out? But worse, I believe hell is a place where there is absence from God for eternity. And for me, that's the most frightening part. God is not there. God, the Father, is in heaven. So that's the rich man's fate. Let's look at Lazarus. Jesus tells us that the poor man died and was carried to Abraham's side. Abraham's side is a symbolism for heaven. And he was comforted there. All those problems he had on earth were gone. They were just temporal. And he was in our eternity in glory spending that. You know, I'm in constant pain all the time. But I know that one day that pain won't be there. I know that dear Brenda, who just got saved and baptized not long ago, she couldn't be here today dealing with cancer. She's not going to have that anymore. And by the way, she got a report this week that they could find no cancer. Praise God. Listen, church, whatever torment we have here on earth is only temporary. We will be with Jesus Christ in eternity with no pain and no suffering. You know, it reminded me of what Jesus tells believers in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 10, and 11. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed means that you are approved by God. Even if the people on this earth ridicule you, revile you, you are still God's child. And here's the takeaway for us. No amount of money is going to save us. That $1.5 million Powerball will not save you. It's a what? Billion. I said million. Yeah, excuse me. I'm glad some of you are keeping track of it. (laughs) You be sure to share the tithe with Antioch, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but here's something else we have real difficulty dealing with in America it's along the lines of how the Pharisees were living we live in one of the well the best country that's ever existed we're blessed that we were even born here 
or God has moved us here to live in this world. And if you've not been to a third world country, I pray that you go sometime. It'll change your world. I went to Africa in 2002. It changed my life. The rest of the world still lives with the basics. And, and here's what I mean. We've got the American dream. And I'm not against the American dream. I've lived it. Matter of fact, before I got my life straightened out, I was chasing it pretty good. And I'm not against the American dream. Don't hear me with that. I'm thankful for it. But here's the problem we've got. Just because we've been blessed with all this doesn't mean we're saved. And there's a lot of people out there that think being blessed with, with material possessions and money equals that God must approve me, so I'm okay. That's not, that's not happened. Didn't, isn't the Pharisees, isn't it have the same thing happening here? That's what we've got to take away from it. And, and one illustration in particular that David Platt made in his book, Radical, if you haven't read it, I want to encourage you to read it. It came out years ago. But he met this, uh, this young woman that was from China, I believe. And that one woman came up to him, and she got to see American television every now and then when she was in Shanghai. And she came up to David and she said, I, I want that, uh, that, I, that I would have the faith that you all have in America. And he said, what do you mean? And, and she said, well, I see all these huge churches and these pastors and their suits and all the nice things. And I want that kind of faith. Now, I know you here at Antioch kind of get that because I don't believe you believe that way that the lady did, that more things equals better. You're, you're better off with faith. I kind of got that twisted around, but you know what I'm saying. Isn't that sad? That someone outside this country look back and see all these opulent churches and all these pastors and all the things that go with it and think that's from faith? You know, I haven't been to the third world countries. I know that, that they, in Haiti in particular, where Janet and I helped start a ministry, you know, they would see things we would bring and they'd say, we want that, we want that. And it took me a little bit, but I figured out that they didn't really need that. Some things we were blessed with are distractions for us. And they're still so basic, they're so hungry that the only thing they've got is Jesus. And their life doesn't need to be cluttered up with more things. That's what changed in my life. And we have to realize as believers, our earthly blessings we have here, they don't mean that we're saved. And wealth can't save us. Which brings me to my next point, religion cannot save you. That's the next on your list for our young disciples and internationals. The Pharisees thought their eternal salvation was intact because they were leader of God's people. Their religion, so to speak. 
They thought that all they had to do is keep the law plus the 600 plus things they added to the law and they were just fine. But we know from the word of God, the law doesn't save. The fulfillment of the law came in through Jesus Christ and he is the only way to salvation. And, and so they thought just because who they were, the, that they were Israel, they were God's people, that everything was all right. Yet the rich man found himself in hell. And I say today, just calling yourself a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic, whatever that is, title is, religious title is, it's not a guarantee you'll get to heaven. There are people, and I think many people, in our churches wearing the Baptist brand, they're doomed for hell unless they repent. Let me tell you the story of Jim. Jim was in his 70s. And he was at the first church that the Lord called us to revitalize. And Jim and his wife, they, they were great friends. He was on the uh, committee that called us. They came alongside us. And, and, and a few years later, the church began to grow. And, and people were coming in from all over the place, praise God. And, and those who had control of that church, which is one, he was one of them, a small rural church. And if you've ever been to one, you know, two or three families tend to control it. And he was in that group. And they began to attack me, to attack my family, to attack my children. It got so ugly that we had to bring in the attorney for the KBC to moderate our business meeting. But back to Jim. As I said, he was in his 70s. Lived all of his life as a Baptist. He had spent 50 years, pretty much close to that, being a deacon and a servant. He led our Hispanic ministry. And he thought he, everything was in order. And he, but yet he was part of the ones that did such vicious things to us. But they all left the church. And about seven years later, I, God called me elsewhere. And that's a beautiful, healthy church today, and I praise God. Matter of fact, Janet and I have spent on those two churches leading them to look something like this. And we never got to stay and enjoy it. But guess what? We're here and we get to enjoy it now. But I went on and a few years later, he, he moved to church where my friend pastored. And we prayed for his soul. And he got real sick. And his pastor called me. And he said, Ralph, Jim is real sick. And Jim got saved today and think about that all of his life and I know I could tell you more and more stories of this that's why I believe there's many out there and not only did he get saved he asked my pastor friend if he'd call me and apologize for all that he did to me and my family and when he called me and told me that I rejoiced and I said you tell Jim to go in peace that I only forgive him I love him and that's love that only comes from Jesus Christ. 
Religion doesn't save you. Wearing the brand doesn't save you. Only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ can guarantee that. And as I was writing this, I was thinking about the fact that God loves you. And, and God created you. The Bible tells us that he knitted us in our mother's womb. And when we think about all the things going on around us now, remember that biblical perspective. God loves you, God created you, and God knitted you in the womb. And that sure ought to guide us in the direction we need to go. So it's not religion. It's about a relationship. The next one is others cannot save you. That's the last one on your list. Young disciples and internationals. Look with me at verses 27 through 29. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest you also come into this place, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. So he's telling the rich man's brothers, they, they, have, they have the scripture. That's all they had at the time was the Old Testament, which is Moses and the prophets. And he's saying, let them hear the word of God. And, and the two brothers would have known that Lazarus died and his, his coming back would mean a resurrected being was telling them about God. But Jesus said to them, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe a resurrected person. I have to think he's thinking about the cross in his view here. But we have the scripture as well. But there's many people out there that reject the scripture or want to change the scripture. This is wholly inspired. It's the infallible word of God. Someone can warn you, yes. Perhaps many warned us. But they can't save you. There's no human on this earth, past or present, that can save your soul. My generation, that's why I'm so glad God called me later in life. I promise you that. I won't get into that now. But my generation has involved preachers with emotional appeals, showmanship, and other means to lure the masses to walk the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, which has left many to wonder about their salvation. Now, I got to praise God, there's been people saved in these generations. But there's many that responded to something just purely emotional. And they found out that, one, their life never changed, and two, they, they don't know if they're secure. And, and, and we know, if we know Jesus Christ, we know that we know, right? If we've invested and have a relationship with him, we know that we belong to him. But there's many out there in my generation that are wandering around, wondering about their salvation. See, we can share the gospel, and we should, but not one of us can save anyone. We can point people to the scriptures, but if they reject them, they're rejecting God's message of redemption. They're not rejecting us. Our call is to share it. That's our form of obedience. 
It's up to them to accept it or reject it. And, and as we tell others, we can tell others about Jesus Christ, but unless they repent and seek forgiveness of their sin, there can be no salvation. There is no salvation without repentance and seeking forgiveness. It, it brought me to Ephesians 1.7 that says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of trespasses to forgive. <laughs> and guess what? Past, future, past, present, and future. I'm thankful for that. But when I'm saying no human past or present can save your soul, I'm talking about anyone. I'm talking about Buddha. I'm talking about Muhammad. I'm talking about any other prophet. There is no salvation there. If you are in one of those religions, let me say, we love you. And we've got a beautiful message that God can have a relationship with you and you can have a relationship with him. He is real. But those prophets can't save you. They lived and they died. And they're buried in the ground. Our Lord died. And on third day, on the third day, he rose again. And he's alive today. Because he's the one true God. And the only way to heaven is through him. He said that in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And it's sad that many of my generation, perhaps more, still think that it's okay. You can have whatever you think. You'll get to heaven too. No. That's calling my Savior a liar, first of all. Because those are his words. So wealth, religion, and others cannot save your soul, which leads me to my final point, most important. Faith in Christ is the only thing that saves you. Young disciples and internationals, that's your last line. Genuine faith in Jesus is the only way to find salvation. And it's the act of surrendering your life. Giving it to Jesus means you're taking yourself off the throne of life, off the throne of your heart, and you're putting Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. When you make that decision, it's not just, there's emotion in it, yes, sir. But it's not just emotion. It's an act of repentance, and it's an act of asking Jesus to be your Lord, which means the ruler of your life, and your Savior, which means saving your soul. And it's a lifelong commitment to live your life for Jesus and to grow spiritually through all of your life. You know, the thing that I see in a lot of, in my past church as well as my first one, you know, we take our salvation for granted. Sometimes I believe we do. And, and we, we're selfish with it sometimes, thinking it's just for me. But our salvation is for the church. And it's meant to be shared. It's not just about us. And it's not just a one and done thing. It's an earthly commitment to eternal blessings. 
Amen. And Paul tells us so well in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Praise God for his gift of salvation. In just a few minutes, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive it, Let's reflect on the beauty of God's grace and his gift of salvation. Pause for a minute before you receive it today and, and think about that. And as a, an important reminder, the bread and the juice of the Lord's Supper are meant to be for baptized believers in Jesus Christ only. This is your supper. And for all else, if you have questions, anyone else, if you have questions, or have not yet placed your faith in Jesus. My question for you is. Why not today? What are you waiting for? Why would you wait to be forgiven. And have eternal life. Our pastors in a few minutes. After we close out. Today will be in the back. As we pray. And they're there to receive anyone with questions about salvation and come help with any decisions you might make. You know what? They're loving pastors. And they're waiting to talk to you. I know that many times Brad preaches his heart out up here and nothing happens. And we don't want to manufacture anything, right? But if God's moving in your heart, respond to it. And give him the praise and glory. In just a minute, we'll have our volunteers come forward and offer the elements of the Lord's Supper. To my far left over there will be the gluten-free bread if you need that. And as we turn to the attitude and response and the praise and the glory and the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Let's position ourselves to receive it. And the Apostle Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Likewise, in the same way, he also took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This Lord's Supper, as we look to the cross, is both horrific at what our Lord had to go through for us to take on our sins, 
but it's also a celebration. We also, not necessarily here, but so often in my past churches, it was like a funeral service. It doesn't need to be. It's a celebration as we await our Lord to return. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, that you sent to this earth, who was born of a virgin, who was fully God and fully man, who lived his life looking toward the cross so that he could be the redemption of souls. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice that we remember today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of salvation through faith in you. We give you thanks, Jesus, for the promise that you will return and take your church to be with you. And Lord, we celebrate that. We look forward to that as we partake. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. Let us turn from any thought of looking at our wealth or our religion or anyone else that could save us and look to you through faith. Oh God, we ask that you bless this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen.